Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Eli Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of Saleshood. He is the former Senior Vice President of Sales Productivity at Salesforce, and Eli was recognized as the 2011 Top Executive by Mark Benioff and credited for creating and executing all of Salesforce's sales training and coaching programs that accelerated its growth from a $500 million business to an enterprise worth more than $3 billion. The innovative sales training and support delivered over these years by Eli's team to thousands of sales professionals resulted in unprecedented hypergrowth. Eli authored the Amazon bestseller, Enablement Mastery. He is also recognized as a top innovative mover and shaker in sales mm-hmm. leadership by Entrepreneur Magazine, and also recognized by LinkedIn as one of the world's top sales experts. Eli is on a mission to improve and modernize how companies enable their people. He is also working closely with the world's most innovative companies and most forward-thinking educational institutions. Together, they are changing the future of work, and we are so pumped to have Eli here. So, Eli, thank you for being on the podcast, my friend. It's great to be here. Thanks for that awesome intro. Yes, sir. Well, that was our stab at, at kind of yeah. sleuthing your your background and your your history. But in your own words, how did we get into this? Where did Saleshood come from? Yeah, wow, that's that's an awesome question. And, and uh, you know, the story is, uh, well, I guess the question is, where do I start? You know, I'm right, from right. Toronto originally, and uh, I got to give a Toronto plug. And uh, I, uh, you know, my, uh, I grew up with, with my dad at a retail furniture store and, and my mom was in, was in real estate. So I had sales all around me from the very beginning. My, my uncle sold airplanes. My grandfather sold carpets. Like it's like everybody wow. was selling something, but I learned, I learned how to sell at a very young age, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I took those life lessons of the importance of just not being afraid to, you know, pick up the phone, not being afraid to knock on the door, being curious, listening, building relationships. That stuff just became kind of instinctive for me in my early years. Cause I saw it, I lived it. And, uh, and, and I was able, you know, when I, when I entered into the workforce and, and began working for technology companies, I was able to take those life lessons and uh, lessons and accelerate my career, right? And, uh, and it's been great. I, uh, I left Toronto after completing school, doing undergrad, graduate. I did a poli-sci history joint specialist. I thought I was going to be a diplomat. And, uh, you know, my dad basically sat me down. I, I remember I was going to go do diplomacy at Brandeis. And he's like, listen why don't you go do some, do some good work in business first, build a career, build some wealth. And then afterwards you can go save the world. And, and, and he was right, you know? And, and, uh, and so I, I, uh, I got my MBA and, uh, and then boom, I, I started working for a tech company. And, and then I, I bounced from Toronto to San Francisco because I felt like I wanted to get into the heart of Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, I worked I worked at a company called Allegis. I worked at Oracle. So it was great to work at Oracle, wow. a large software company. And then Salesforce yeah. came knocking and, uh, and and Salesforce came knocking and uh, and they said, hey, you know what? We, we we need someone like you that can help us build product. And uh, and and I spent eight years there. And um, and really, it was those eight years that helped crystallize my thinking in terms of uh, why saleshood and our mission and everything that you described, right? Saleshood, we founded Saleshood in 2013, and my co-founder and I, and he's a technologist, and and I was an expert in recognized expert and, and had a lot of experience in sales and sales enablement, sales training, and uh, and and I had a vision. I had a very clear picture in my mind of what the world needed in order to achieve hyper growth faster, right? So Salesforce was unique. It was a SaaS company that was hiring a ton of salespeople, you know, 30 30 to 50 people a month. And we were just kind of running them through the the motion of just training them, coaching them, giving them accounts, getting them to sell, getting them to close business. It was a machine, but I had 120 people on my my team. So think about that. So 120 people on my team, and, and, and I started thinking, okay, how can, we, how can we do this in a more scalable manner? And I looked 
didn't find anything. So, so I, 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 you know, there was a moment, you know, you reach a point in your life, you have a moment of clarity and you go, I'm going to do this. And, uh, and boom, you know, uh, Arthur well, Doe and I, uh, we founded Saleshood in early 2013. And really the mission of Saleshood is to uh, help every company boost the productivity of their sales teams and, and to do it with our purpose-built all-in-one sales enablement platform. Data, video, peer-to-peer, like it's this tricked out system that gets salespeople to learn from their peers, coach each other, and then share videos and share assets with their customers so you can holistically improve your entire sales team in record-breaking speed. That's Got kind it. of a, you know, that's, that's, that's some of the story. <laughs> So when you, uh, this is where, I, okay, I think it's making sense to me now, but when you said you were thinking about what's a more scalable way, and at first I was thinking about in terms of business structure, I was like, well, that business was already scaling like crazy, but you were right. talking about the efficiency of the training for salespeople didn't feel scalable because there were so many people coming through. Did it just feel like you couldn't adequately train so, them? So the, the way that we train people was, you know, we... I got to work very closely with Mark Benioff and, and Mark over-invested in sales enablement. And Mark was very clear. Mark said, we need every single salesperson at salesforce.com and partner to be aligned with our core messages and our core value. I want them saying the same thing. And I want you to prove to me that they're saying the same thing. And the only way you can do it is I need to teach you and then you're going to go teach them and then you're going to certify them. Now, that is, you know, when I'm sitting around a conference room table with the CEO of salesforce.com and he delivers the pitch to us and then he goes, okay, Eli, it's your job. Now you got 30 days to go get everyone certified. When we were 300 sellers, we could run around the world and we could planes, trains, automobiles, you get it done. Yeah. But when you're 5,000 salespeople, it's like, whoa, it started breaking. And yeah. we, we, we couldn't keep up with the innovation. We couldn't keep up with the, with this, with the, you know, with the efficiency that we needed in order to continuously keep folks on message. We had to train them on the products, train them on the pitches. We had to verify that they understood what they were doing. And then, but the real, the real hardest part was how do you know that it's making an impact? And it was almost impossible to correlate all the training and the enablement and all the coaching and everything that they were doing with the actual performance data. So you need a system for it. You need a system mm -hmm. that is optimized for sales enablement so you can correlate activity to performance outcomes and then you know what's working and what's not working. How long, or maybe not how long, but when did you start to think this is actually something I need to go and build myself versus just trying to innovate inside of the company I'm working right. for? No, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, uh, I started thinking about it about a year before I left. Okay. And, uh, you know, and, and my team and I, we started, you know, kind of experimenting a little bit. And, uh, and, and I remember uh, we were, you know, cause we had, we had, you know, we, we were running everything out of spreadsheets and running everything. We're using Salesforce and spreadsheets and manual. I had 20 people just doing administrative work. And, uh, and so we, we kind of, we built a video app and, and it was like, a, you know, watch a video, do a quiz. It was kind of interesting. Um, we started trying to experiment and, and really th th there wasn't an appetite in the organization to innovate with tech. The organization wanted to continue to follow the process of manually certifying everyone, coaching people in one-on-ones. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, it, it was probably the late summer of 2012 where I kind of made the mental, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And, yeah. uh, and, and then January, 2013, I left. Wow. Now for everybody, I'm sure it's different in terms of how easy it was to make a decision like that or challenging for you. Where did you fall on that spectrum? Like once you, once you felt like this is what you wanted to do, was it fairly easily, even emotionally to take that leap and, and, you know, kind of bet on yourself or was it challenging? Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely challenging. And, uh, I think, uh, and it continues to be challenging, right? There's, there's the inner voice that, you know, always questions and oh, yeah. there's the self doubt that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm human. And, uh, I, I remember, you know, 60 days afterwards, 90 days afterwards, six months afterwards going, what did I do? And, uh, and, and, you know, reality was I had the support of my wife. I had the support of my family and I had uh, a, a great set of mentors around me that, uh, you know, kind of coached me. And, and said, you can do this. And, uh, wow. and, and, and without, 
the, you know, like, and I had people around me that were around me right before, right after, uh, and, and, and continue to be around me. Like I'll, I'll mention someone's name, Dan Dill Deegan. We worked very closely together at Salesforce. He was one of the top sales leaders. And, you know, when I left and I said, I was going to start saleshood, you know, he was, he was there with me, arm and arm. Let me see your decks. Let me see your thinking. Let me see your plans. What are your assumptions? And, and he's still involved and, and he's on my board wow. now. And, and, and we're still connected. We're still plugged in. He even, he even, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, uh, we, we did a little bit of funding at the very beginning, small, like we're not like one of these heavily funded, you know, SaaS startup companies out there. We'll talk more about that. I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, but he, he even, you know, said, I believe in you so much and I believe in your idea and I know you're going to execute that. I'm even willing if you're, if you're, if, if you'll take money, let me give you some so to help you get started. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, you mentioned something in terms of the questions he was asking you that I've found uh, critical in terms of thinking through a business idea or any life decision. But you mentioned the assumptions, and that was something I heard recently. Tim Ferriss and another guy talking about that—that's a specific question he likes to ask himself often. Like, what assumptions am I making about this? How do I know these assumptions are correct? Can you talk to me a little bit about that, even at that time, the importance of that question, and what emerged as you kind of asked yourself that question? So in terms, so, so like what assumptions we had, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, I, I think, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say assumption and then I'm also going to say values okay. um, because uh, till this day, you know, the vision and the core values that we started the company, Arthur Doe and I, uh, they remain the same. And so, you know, our assumption was uh, we're going to, we're going to solve a very specific revenue problem for companies. And, uh, and the problem that we're going to solve is we're going to solve it in a way that no one else is solving it. Um, and, and, and the way that we wanted to solve it was through video-based learning, video-based coaching, video-based selling with, with peer-to-peer being something that really differentiates. And peer-to-peer with the mobile device, peer-to-peer with the ability for top salespeople to see their peers, for, for salespeople that are new to see the top sellers, like, like that concept was something that, uh, and I remember the first year I, I, you know, I was talking to VCs and we were considering raising funds. People look at me like, I'm crazy. Like, what, what are you doing? But that's when we knew, right? When, when people didn't believe and when people said salespeople would never record videos, why would they do that? Right. So, so the core assumptions were, you know, we were going to extract from the experience at Salesforce, what worked, but then we were going to provide a scalable, repeatable motion using technology so that we can provide that same expertise and best practices, but provide it at scale with a SaaS platform to every company on the planet. And, uh-huh. um, and those are the assumptions, right? When I met my yeah. co-founder, you know, uh, you know, basically, we, had, we didn't know each other before. We hadn't worked with each other. And he was a technologist, you know, two-time founder. And, uh, and, and, you know, I pulled him out of retirement, got introduced through, through, through a common friend. And... Uh, we sat down, we had coffee, tea. And at the end, you know, he, he was just basically, basically asking me basic questions like how big is this market and, and what problem are we solving? Who else is solving it? You know, what makes us unique and, and, and how do you know about all this? And he basically said, I'm in, I'm ready to do this. And, mm. and it's the conviction and, and it was the, 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 the core set of values that uh, fueled us uh, and continue to fuel us. And they're the same. So those yeah. assumptions and values, we've not, we've not steered away from them at all. So two of the assumptions I hear in there are that if we change from a one-to-one, very time-intensive in-person experience to something more scalable, like a digital learning and training with peer-to-peer, the assumption is that one, salespeople would use it, and two, that there Uh, wouldn't be too much of a diminish of exchange going from in-person, maybe one-to-one, to more group and online. Were you able to test those two assumptions ahead of time, or was that something you just had to see once you rolled it out, whether people use it or not? And thankfully they did. So, so I knew, I knew that peer to peer worked and, and I knew it worked definitively from Salesforce. Okay. Right. And, and so we, because we did it all manually and, and I could see the direct correlation of getting two sellers or two teams or bringing people together to collaborate and learn from each other because I would see the survey results. I'd see the performance data. I'd see all the thank you emails. And so I knew it, I knew it in my heart. Right. And, and uh, even though most people thought I was crazy. And, uh, and so therefore could we replicate that into a, into a digital online experience? Yes. 
And, 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 the, and, and the real win was, yeah, we could replicate it, but the real value of replicating it was getting the data and correlating the data. So it wasn't just you know, intuitive, but it was, it was factual that it had an impact. And so, yes, once we started rolling out, we were, we were, you know, we had our core team of, you know, we had, you know, 10, 20, 10, 10 or 20 teams in that first year that were part of our beta. And, and yeah, they were using sales. They were collaborating, they were coaching, they were learning each other. They were practicing their pitches. We did a, a couple core use cases, yeah. but yeah, we, we were looking at performance data because That's we, amazing. We, we, we needed to know. We needed Absolutely. to know that it had an impact. And, and listen, we're a hundred customers now, you know, we're, 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 you know, just about to hit 10 million in, in, in annual recurring run rate revenue. You know, wow. we're, we're cash flow positive, right? We built a real business. We've got customers that have been with us for five, six years, right? It works. And, and those, you know, go ahead. For the, for that beta period, yeah. were those, I'm just for ins and outs of people maybe thinking of applying similar things. Were they, were they free? I mean, like, did they, did you do it for free or are they discounted or full price customers right away? They were just a part of the beta beta process. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're, we're eight years into it. And so, uh, you know, Arthur, so the, the short answer is the beta program, which was, you know, it was a, it was a very short beta program, you know, Arthur and I, you know, I left Salesforce in January, just to give you all a timeline, you know, Arthur and I met in April. So I spent two, three months kind of really getting the idea down, building some wireframes, meeting other co-founders, trying to find my, my match. Uh, and then, and then by September, we were up and running operational with, uh, you know, uh, Amazon was up and running and we had, you know, kind of V1 of the site. And so from September to December, we had 10 or 20 teams that were collaborating with us in that initial beta. Wow. They signed up, right? They, they had already signed paperwork that they participate in the beta, right? That was one of the, that was one of the ways I was able to entice Arthur. I said, I got 10 people here that are, that are in and that they're willing to do this and that they will pay money if they like the beta. When January turned the corner, then we converted them to revenue. Got and, it. And, and so that's why we didn't have to raise funds because we had 10 paying customers within six months of getting the system up and running. Yeah. Yeah. So smart. When you, when you, when you literally hit the ground running, like yeah. I, I went from this to now I'm working on this. It sounds like you already, you, you had a team with you right from the start. Did you, is that what it was? Was, was it just you? And then over a period of months, you found a few other people to come in or, or, or was it, you brought in a team right away? Right. So, um, Arthur and I, we met, we formed a partnership, inked our, inked our, and it's a true partnership and, uh, you know, a true partnership and, uh, and, and he had a team. And so he had a VP engineering and he had a, a core group of developers that we basically, cause I remember, right. We, we had that coffee. It was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. And then on Monday we were, we were in a boardroom mapping out the, uh, the use the, the user flow for the first version wow. and uh, the servers, the Amazon servers were up a couple of days later. And I was logging into at least a first version, at least, at least the login was working within a week or two. And, uh, and then, and then we just started. So yeah, we were moving real fast. Listen, the technology today, you get service standing up on Amazon and, and, but, but we had clarity, right? We had yeah. clarity of, of what the problem we were solving and it was a real problem and how to solve it. And, uh, and it was so interesting. I still remember, I'll take us on a little detour, but like, I remember when I was explaining to Arthur, like, this is what this thing's going to be. And, and it was all this, like, and I had this, like, and, and we're still, we're still, early, like we're eight years in and there's still a huge roadmap of things we want to build. And, and, and he looked at me and he said, okay. So, and I drew this out with all this stuff on the whiteboard. He goes, see that first thing, whatever it was, just this like pitch practice, whatever it was, he goes, now let's, let's just build that. <laughs> and, and, and so he basically took out 90% of what I drew on the whiteboard. He goes, now, now explain that to me. Mm. And, uh, and so he's the master at being able to just distill down the essence of what we're trying to do and, and kind of remove the noise. We yeah. would not have been successful. We didn't try to do too much at the beginning. We, you know, there may, we made mistakes, but, but for the most part, we wanted to solve the problem of let's get a sales team together. Let's get them to collaborate around a topic. Let's get them to watch some videos. Let's get them to, you know, we want to track that they're watching those videos. And then let's get them to, to, to answer some questions and let's get them to maybe share their version of the video, like a pitch. And, and uh, we want to do that synchronously and asynchronously using the sales platform, right? Super simple problem. But if you can get it right, you can imagine that when companies have 
500, 1,000 salespeople, when they yeah. roll out a new pitch or they roll out new products, they can press a button and boom, everybody gets notified and you're kind of just managing all this. That's that's the real so what here. So the that, that initial MVP yeah. was a certain topic of sales, content that I assume you and whoever recorded, uploaded there. They could watch the content. They could record themselves doing a pitch, upload it for their peers to see. And then was there like a live online interaction with each other, like hot seat kind of questions or things like that? Was that kind of the, the basic format starting out? Yeah. You know, so, so there, there's the two, there's two, two, two ways it could work. Right. So one way we did give them some basic sales training. Right. So I, I kind of learned from my time at Salesforce where customers would come to us and say, love Salesforce. It's great. Can you just give me some basic sales process stuff. So when I started sales, when we started it, I said, let's, Let's just put some basic sales training in there because because I didn't want to have the objection that someone would say was, this looks great, but it's going to take me too long to get content in here. So you had option A, you could take something from our library or option B, you just get your top rep or you get your someone in marketing just to record a basic pitch. And so then everybody watches that pitch and then they do their version and they score each other. And then, ah. and that's, that's, that's the, that's really the, the, that's kind of one of the core use cases for us that has proven to have huge high value. And we do that better than anyone else. And, uh, and it's a peer to peer and it's a simple concept, right? Yeah. But guess what? Let's go back to my Salesforce experience, right? It was Benioff's vision. You know, I want to get everybody aligned on message. I don't care where the rep is, where the person is around the world. I want them to be aligned with the core messaging because if we can achieve that, then we can achieve greatness. And, uh, and, 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 and he was right, you know, like I remember once I was having dinner with uh, one of the Salesforce customers and, and, and Dreamforce and uh, CEO of a company. And he says, I got to ask you a question. I go, what's that? He said, I spoke, I heard Mark on stage and, and then I, I, I talked to my salesperson and then I talked to my customer success manager and then I talked to my support person. Then I talked to the, to the VP and guess what? They all said, and they were all aligned. They all had the same messaging around what's most important, but it was personalized. And he looked at me and he said, how'd you do that? And, uh, and, and that was it, right? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. And that's what saleshood does. And, and that was the MVP. And, and, and now we've just been growing the business ever since. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, even outside of sales. Yeah. How do you, how do you have a consistency of message like that in a company? That's not just what, what stands out to me about that story. And let me back up. What stands out to me about that story is the personalization that you mentioned that they weren't just like regurgitating the company line, right? Like, yep, this is what we stand by. But it obviously was like internalized that they knew the message, they believed in the message and even had their own examples or whatever of it. That's hard to do, especially yeah. at scale. How yeah. do you, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, we've built in to saleshood a, uh, like a 10 step pitch practice process that, uh, you know, that's just, you know, you can buy tech and there are a lot of tech solutions out there, but you got to make sure that when, 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 when you buy technology that the, you know, like I said, we're purpose-built all-in-one sales enablement platform. And, and so the origins of us and why we created the company, it's alive in our system. It's got, it's got you know, the, the, the way the workflows work, the way that the system guides publishers of content creation. And so like the 10 step process uh, is baked into the platform. So it, it guides a, a marketing leader or it guides a CEO or it guides a head of sales to follow the steps, to create, create a pitch, follow these steps, how you create it. You know, for example, like when you, when you publish a pitch, a lot of times people will publish like a long pitch. And, you know, the reality is you gotta make it bite-sized. So if you can create five or six little micro pitches that, that, that are tied back to customer conversations or the buyer's journey. It's a lot easier for your employees to digest. It's a lot easier for your employees to practice. And then you, and then you roll out these micro pitches to your teams. And, 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 and then, you know, I want to know that everyone's watched it. So you, you, you're tracking whether yeah. you watched it, right? So that way I know, I know definitively down to the second who's watched it, who hasn't watched it. And then, and then you're going to have folks, uh, write out their version of it, right? So they write it out and, and now it's all done in a system. And then, and then you're going to have them practice. And, and so they're going to record their version. And then you're going to have peer-to-peer -peer where you're going to have people uh, watch X number of peers and that's a setting in the system. And then you're going to have the managers come in and provide feedback. And then they're going to give you feedback. And then you're going to have 
the, the, the individuals are going to share real life examples. And then, and then as they go through that process, there is a scorecard where the scorecard is communicated. And, and so if you think about how many times am I as an individual employee, I've watched the pitch, I've watched three or four versions, I've read the instructions, I've, re, I've re, like, there's like 50 to 60 times I'm touching the instructions. That's how you get alignment. And you recognize and reward personalization, but without deviating from the core message. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's well, I appreciate that too. Kind. Brilliant. And, and uh, so there's a continuity of process that they're following that inherently drives a similar way of thinking about things. Cause they're all going through the se same steps. Yeah. And you also mentioned the distillation, which I think is cool that you talked about even your ideas at the beginning and your, your co-founder helping you distill it to its most important parts. Yeah. You're doing the same thing in the pitch, which is much more memorable. Like, what are we really saying here? What is the essence of the real, you know, offer or value add that we're saying the customer has? You can remember that, and then you can ha maybe fit that in where it feels natural in the conversation with the customer versus this three-minute, you know, two-paragraph-long pitch that a lot of people have <laughs> trying right. to memorize and get out all their things. Yeah. That's huge. And now, Drew, it's actually longer though. Like, like most companies today, when they're thinking about certifying their reps and when they're thinking about getting their employees to learn the corporate pitch, they're handing them 20 slides wow. and they're giving them like a 30 minute video. Like that's not real. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, you, you got to break it down. Right. So, so think of all the different employee roles. Like we have some customers today that are using saleshood across their entire employee base. That's how much we've evolved. Right. And so Ring Central is one of our customers. They've actually renamed, we, we, we renamed Saleshood for them. It's called Skillshood. And the reason why I bring it up is the idea of getting your teams aligned and on message uh, is, is and, and how they communicate value and how they tell their stories and how they handle objections and how they communicate the essence of what your company does is different by role, a support person, an account person, an engineer. Totally. And so they've, they've adopted the, these, these principles of pitch practice and storytelling uh, and, and um, you know, an enablement within the revenue and the sales organization, and they've applied it across the whole company. So uh, mm. and it's got to be bite-sized, but you got to measure it and you got to get the feedback and you got to know that your people are, uh, and they got to be able to see each other. Those are just some of the things of how, how, how we are uh, helping companies today. It's amazing. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm, I'm learning, because I wasn't sure, just in my mind, I imagine that you had your own people that were interacting with the content or with the people and giving feedback, but it sounds like you've actually empowered that organization where their own sales managers are the ones that are giving them feedback based off of what they're going through. Is that what it is? Yeah. You can assume in the beta, we were probably more hands-on, but, uh, but we figured out, right. So, so absolutely. Right. So that's amazing. So, so our customers are loading their own content, right? Our customers are creating their own scorecard. Our customers are empowering their frontline managers to provide the reinforcement. Our customers are integrating saleshood and skillshood with their business intelligence system so they can do the correlation analysis so they can actually know what's working, what's not working. They're using our library as a central repository of content and training for all their for all their employees and their partners. And and but we're so they can use your library or they can create their own content and upload it on there. Yeah, most of our customers, we, we've got like small little channels, small is the wrong word. We've got channels of content that we make available, but our customers today, it's it's their content is the content that gets gets consumed the most. And uh, yeah, I think in the early days, people thought that Saleshood was a sales training company and they didn't yeah. realize that we're actually a platform for enablement. And, uh, and, and uh, when you can do both, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, but, uh, that's yeah. the cool part. That's the scalable part that, that I'm picking up on right now. Cause I just assumed it was more of the sales training. Like they got yeah. onto your platform, you did all the coaching, you did all the whatever, but you're actually enabling them to use this product to be able to, to actually do all the training themselves. Yeah. Most of our customers will hire trainers. Most of our customers will hire training companies and they'll load up the videos, but they're using saleshood to deliver, to measure, to, to, and, and then, the teams can also share with their customers. So it's the mm -hmm. whole life cycle because that's, you want to close the loop, right? Like think about that pitch process. Now that I'm good with my pitch, now that I practice, I got feedback from my managers and, and boom, now I'm working an opportunity. And then, and then you get, you get a next step action that says, Hey, it's time for you to send a pitch to your, to your prospect. Okay. Well, I can take one that I've recorded. I'm going to record a new one. 
and then boom. And so that's why we do this. And, and, and then it. I want to know the pitches that I've recorded with buyers, which ones are being consumed, which ones are being watched, because then I can feed that information into a forecast system. And that way I can know, say, hey, Drew, wait a minute, you're saying you're going to close this deal this month. But wait a minute, you've sent a buyer site out, you've sent three videos, and you sent a proposal, but no one's looking at it. Why do you think <laughs> it's going to close? No, it's data. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. fact. Oh, God, that's amazing. So I'm assuming a lot of those features became more available recently with the development and technology and that kind of thing. Is, is, am I correct in that or am I just new to the sales game? Being able to track that level of detail, uh, did they open it or not? Did they look at it? That kind of thing. No, we've, we've had consumption tracking and we've had the, uh, um, all the tracking that I talked about. Uh, has been well it's it's newer like when i was at salesforce this stuff didn't exist yeah and so and so eight years right and and uh we knew we needed to build a system from day one that you Uh. can you can have a video and that video asset the core thing you want to be able to do with that video is you want to be able to deliver it and that way people can watch it on their mobile device or on their desktop and it's got to be delivered and consumable and it's got to be fun and easy just like it would be on any one of the social media platforms like twitter or like look at TikTok today, right? Like people, like you got to see videos in real time, YouTube. So, so we were, we were, we were, we were, we were uh, picking up on like the YouTube phenomenon and, and creating like a YouTube library for companies. Yeah. Uh, but, but the measures, but you need to be able to track consumption. Recently, though, we did, we did recently in the last twelve months roll out the buyer sites, right? Because you know we started with the, we started with let's publish content, then let's train and onboard people. Then let's do coaching. And then we did guided selling. And then in the last 12 months, we rolled out buyer sites. And, uh, and, and so, uh, so for us, that's we, we, and, and you know why, what, what drove it was the pandemic. And so, uh, and, and I hate bringing up COVID, but the reality is digital selling accelerated uh, in the for last sure. two years because salespeople, they can't go visit their customers on site and, uh, and they needed a way to deliver information and to differentiate how they sell. And so being able to record a video and, and put a video on a site that can be you know, authenticated and, and, uh, and you can share it uh, with a buyer and that way you can collaborate with them asynchronously, that is something that has uh, really, really accelerated uh, in the last uh, 24 months post-COVID. Man, so the problem was so clear. The solution you developed is brilliant and is obviously working, Thank but you. I got to assume that there's still challenges along the way going from that idea to where you all are today. Yeah. Unique to you or unique, not meaning like no one else experiences that, but thinking through your story, what were some of the primary challenges that had to be overcome to get to where you are today? Yeah. I, uh, I was really fortunate to have a great co-founder and, and, uh, and who believed in the vision and, and we still, Arm in arm, we're, we're we're like brothers now, right? It's it's you don't you don't do this for eight years with a co-founder, and uh, and at the, like it's it's and but it still feels like like a honeymoon almost because it still feels <laughs> like like it still feels like we started yesterday. Yeah, um, you know, so and that's been you know a savior for me, right? And having the family and support and my wife and everyone just like like I could have done this without the support around me. You know, I I think the biggest challenge and what what I is in the first thing that I that I uh, well the biggest challenge is all for us has been recruiting. And, and I think finding the right people. And, uh, uh, and, and we'll, let's talk about that a little bit because I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this over the last six to 12 months. Um, that, that's really been, been, been a challenge. The other one is, is uh, like, listen, we've, we've gone as fast as we could. And, uh, and, and, uh, and in, some, in some areas, it, was, it took longer. Uh, and in other areas, we just haven't even, like we haven't scratched the surface. So uh, like, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna get here. Like I wanna, I wanna and, and, but there's a reality, right? You know, you've right. got an organization, you've got, you've got, you've got, uh, 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 you can only deliver based on the capacity that you have. And, and uh, you know, because we've been a business that has been uh, funded through organic growth. And, uh, and like I said, we're, we're cash flow positive, which is amazing. But being cash flow positive and not taking, you know, in these days, hundreds of millions, if I, if I, if I look at, and then we'll get back to the recruiting. But if I look at, if I add up all the money that my competitors have raised, which, you know, by the way, this wasn't a space 10 years ago, right? So if I, if I, if I add up, it's $2 billion, right? Damn. And so, and so while recruiting has been a challenge for us, and we'll talk about that. The second one has been, um, I think just awareness 
Because like when I talk to, to companies or, or, or when we speak to analysts like Gardner or Forrester, you know, they'll say, wow, you're like, we didn't know. And, and, uh, and, and I don't like being one of the best kept secrets. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> in but, business, I don't want to be a kept secret. <laughs> and so, you know, we've invested a lot in our go-to-market and, and I just, we, we didn't have the luxury to invest in our go-to-market in those early years because we had to keep it tight and we were so focused on getting kind of the core use cases right and delivering value and keeping every customer. And, uh, and so, um, but it's tied to recruiting, right? I didn't have the luxury to hire uh, the right senior level staff to help us scale up and, mm. but everything happens for the reason, no regrets. But, oh yeah. What it makes me think of is, have you ever read uh, deep work? No, I'm going to write that down. Deep work. So, the author is unique in that he was he was like in the same dorm as the Facebook founders when when they launched it, right? Oh no like, way! Like the only reason that's unique to me is because I'm probably one of the only people you know that's never been on social media, and he's now, you know, in his 40s, incredibly successful. And he's like, I only say that not to judge anyone on social media, to challenge the assumption that you have to do A, B, and C to be successful in the world. And so he wrote this book called Deep Work, where the idea that he posited that I hear in, in your story is he said, if you do deep work, meaning you're solving meaningful challenges and you're really good at it, customers will find you. And he's like, there will always be a market for deep work. The superficial work is always going to be driven to the lowest cost or the most famous or whoever put the most ad dollars into it. And it's going to be a huge competition. So he's like, anything that has a low barrier to entry, like you can just pick your phone up and do it or whatever, is always going to be very competitive. But he's like, if you're doing true deep work in the world, there'll always be a market and there will always be customers for you. And so I just, I think about you all saying yeah. you'd rather start that way where you had, you figured out the right problem, you'd found the use cases, you tweak it over time until you know, we are crushing this. This is a real problem that we are solving. And then you can throw ad dollars at it. Then you can come out of the box, you know, and not be a secret anymore. But the opposite would be a problem that if you spent all that money at the, just to get out there and be on every billboard and be known, but you weren't really solving the problem, you got to keep throwing money into that machine to keep going. You know what I'm saying? No, I, so, I, I think it's great. And I, and I appreciate you for, I'm going to read the book. I, I appreciate you for saying that. It's, uh, it's super interesting. I think uh, the last 12 months has been the best 12 months from a performance perspective and a growth perspective in the company history. There we go. And, and it's, it's a combination of a number of factors, but you know, it's like, it's like, we, we, we got it. We got the use cases down and, yes. and, 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 uh, and we got the flow down and we've got the stories and the customers and we got team and, and, and now, um, you know, and, 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 and we really have been, we, 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 we cracked the code in our go-to-market. So we just doubled our sales team for the first time ever. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, well, we, we, we actually, we doubled our sales team two years ago and, uh, and that didn't work out well. And, and, uh, cause we weren't ready and, yeah. uh, and, and, but now we're ready. And, and well, so, I mean, think uh -huh. about, I'm pretty sure, I think it was Cuban. I think it was Cuban that was talking about, everybody's always obsessed with first to market. Yeah. He's like, they, they always forget that you could also be best in market. And so he's like, if you can't be the best in the market, then you have to be first to the market. But he's like, if you're not first to market, but you're the best in the market, it doesn't matter. Like, don't worry that other people got there first because the best will eventually win, you know, and, and yeah. take the accounts and those kinds of things. I, I, think I believe that. Right. So I'm not spending my days looking at my competitive, uh, the competitors and their websites. It's, it's, they actually, you know, they've read my books and, and, and they're, they're, they're building what they think we have and I, and, and God bless them. Right. And yeah, sure. go crazy. Right. I think the way we're solving the problem is unique. And, uh, and once people realize who we are, what we do, the value we deliver, how the system works, they're like, oh my God, there's nothing else like there like this. There's nothing like there. There's nothing out there like this, excuse me. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and that's been, it's been, it's been so gratifying. And, and the momentum that we're experiencing now and uh, the, 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 the buzz in the company and, and our customers and the growth and, and, you know, all measures, right. We can, we can sit here and look across any of the measures is just, it's, it's amazing. And, and yeah. it's so rewarding, right. You go from an idea eight years ago to finally getting it. Yeah. You know, I, some VCs would say it took us too long and, and, uh, and, and that's fine. Let them say that. And, and sure. 
but but we got it right. Right. Uh, so I'm making a note here about to come back to recruiting because I really want to ask you about that. But I did yeah. have I did have another question before okay. we get to that. Well, first off, when you talk about it took too long for VCs, I mean, yeah. I, I remember um, the founder of Lululemon talking about needing to understand the kind of business you wanted. If you wanted a business that you were going to exit in a few years, or if you had a business that you wanted to that you loved and you wanted to be a part of for the rest of your life, that you have different goals than the VCs, right? And so this is something you've enjoyed having for eight years. You want to keep growing and building it, then there is no freaking timeline. The VCs are not, they're bad people, but they're thinking about how quickly can this get my money back, you yeah, know? Yeah. And that's, a, that's just a different game. And I, I, ever since I heard that, I was like, that's really true. You need to ask like, what kind of business am I building here for me? Cause I may be aligned or I may not be aligned with VCs. Um, but my question for you is doing anything for eight years is hard. Hmm. Building a business is freaking hard. Yeah. You're still vibrant from everything I can tell you're authentically passionate about your business. You're excited about what you're doing. How do you keep that energy and capacity alive and not slowly burn out over the eight years of, of the challenges of, of building a business? Right. I, uh, yeah, listen, I get tired sometimes. Don't let my team know, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, if there's a moment where I've got self doubt or if there's a moment where I feel down or, 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 you know, whatever it happens, you're going to get knocked down. You know, it's very simple. You know, I'll pick up the phone, call a customer or, 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 or I log into the app and I, and I just kind of remind myself of what we've created mm. um, or, or, or I write about kind of, uh, you know, you know, something that value that we've delivered to our customers. So, so being, being customer centric uh, and really making sure that everything we're doing is hundred percent focused on delivering value to our customers really keeps really kind of at, at, at a company level. Uh, keeps us. I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I get asked all the time, like, aren't you tired? Like, yeah. And, and I just, and I'm not working. This isn't work. Like we, we were building something unique and special and, uh, and we haven't deviated from our core mission and our vision and our values. And uh, um, I know I know the problem that we're solving is a really big problem. And, uh, and yeah, there are, now there are more competitors than there were eight years ago. But even if you take all of us together and you count up all the customers that were serviced, we're still just scratching the surface on the total addressable market here. Hmm. Uh, no one has really figured out at a mass scale how to get salespeople to be productive and how to get sales teams to be productive and how to get cultures to continuously be predictable winning cultures. That's not something that a sales force has figured out. It's not something that some of the larger companies that are bigger than us have figured out. And, and that's what is the fuel that keeps me going. Mm. Uh, and it's legacy. I know, I know saleshood is going to stand on its own. Uh, even, even if I step away as a CEO in a decade or whenever that time period is, Right. I, and, and I know that we're going to be, you know, you, in my bio, you, you wrote, oh, he's working with universities. Right. So so I, I I firmly believe the legacy that Arthur and I are going to leave is going to be way beyond just kind of this this time period. Now it's it's sales is going to be the destination for salespeople on the world, like around the world. Like every salesperson will think sales if they want to be the best salesperson that they can be. And, Let's go. Uh, and we're not stopping. Right. We're not stopping. I think. Uh, now, are you, yeah. by the way, sorry. And, and, and but, but I do take care of myself, right? That's and, what I was going to ask. I was going to ask how about outside of work is, yeah. are there certain habits or activities or things that recharge you in different ways? You know, absolutely. Right. In the early years I was, I was meditating, uh, in those first years. And then, uh, and then my brain just was, I, I, I should get back to it. <laughs> uh, but, but for me, you know, I think I get, I get grounded in family. I get grounded in, in spending time with, with my kids. They're 14 and 11 now. And, uh, and so they've, they've, they've been around through this whole, mm -hmm. uh, this whole growth, uh, and building saleshood. Uh, personally, you know, I love walking, I love running and, uh, and I need that, right. I need, I need to get, I need to go. I need, I need that alone time so I can clear my mind and, and just, you know, I take care of my body. I eat well. And, and, you know, I think, uh, um, I think, I think, um, yeah, those, those are the things, right. I think it's huge, you know, hobbies, right. Like, like, you know, I, I did an awesome scuba diving trip with my dad pre COVID and I can't wait to get back in the water again. And, uh, you know, my daughter just got vaccinated. So we'll, 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 we'll be going on a trip real soon. 
Um, but um, yeah, you know what? Just I work hard. You know, yeah. I work a lot, but but it's not work. But at the same time, you know, I think uh, I'm mindful of of the importance of balance. And uh, and so I I've, I have okay. I might be working more now than I did when I was at Salesforce. But the balance that I have. Uh, and I think it's, you know, I just turned 50 and, uh, and I think upon reflection, forties was the most balanced year of my life, a balanced decade of my life, because wow. I could take, you know, I was able to reflect and go, like, I was the most creative. I've, I feel like I've accomplished the most yet. I was still able to prioritize family and friends and, uh, and me. And, and, uh, and, and I think that's been a big change. That's uh, huge. Yeah. I mean, just even candidly, yesterday I took I took the whole day off, uh, which was un, unlikely. My wife was the one that was like, "You need to take tomorrow off." Right. And it was because I I like many people I know the concepts and I do a good job. I work out every day. I eat right. well. I do all that kind of stuff. But beyond that, I don't often prioritize recovery, in it, which sounds terrible. Again, I'm teaching it all the time to companies and doing whatever. Yeah. Um, but she was basically like, you need to practice what you preach. I think you need a mental day tomorrow. And I spent most of it doing what you're talking about. Like I sat at Starbucks for two hours, hmm. like just thinking like so much has happened this year. Like I haven't had enough time to wrap my mind around things and check my gut on things and answer some key questions and things like that, you know? And I just, I asked that question. Cause I, I mean, I've talked to so many founders on here. One was going blind at one point because oh of stress God. Another had like a year and a half back injury because of stress. And now they've since yeah. learned their lesson, but it's such a silent killer. And the way that I've learned to think about it is we call it balancing the energy equation. I'd got that from um, Jim Lair and Tony Schwartz. They call it just balancing the energy equation that it's a simple math. If you're spending X amount of energy, you have to return X amount of energy in order to keep giving, or you're slowly yeah. going in debt, just like money. If I'm spending more than I'm recouping, I'm slowly going in debt. And I just, I think we overlook that and think we can r run forever and we can, you know, we, we can keep doing this. And it's like, no, to some degree, you got to prioritize if recovery's family, if recovery's, you know, yeah. working out in the yard or doing something that gives you the energy back so that you can keep showing up to your office and giving your vision and giving your love and giving your creativity. Um, so anyways, I appreciate you sharing that. No, I think it's great. I, I love that, right? So there's got to be a balance of energy. I think yes. I think that's super. Well, I'm happy you took a day off yesterday and you took care of yourself. Yeah, like I said, I do it for the most part. I've learned to build certain practices in, but I hadn't recognized how heavy the season was. It was like I wasn't willing to go. This has been a really heavy season for a lot of reasons, and I might need more than the average routine. I might need more time than I would typically give myself to like sort through certain emotions and you know that that kind of thing. Um, and that's just the permission I'm learning to feel mm. is like, Oh, you got that permission. You got that permission to say, I need this. I need to think about this, or I need to yeah. you know, push this back a day until I can get you a better answer or something like that. So anyways, the last question I wanted to make sure we get to, and I know we're up sure. on an hour here yeah. is on recruiting. I would love your thoughts because it's the most consistent thing I've heard from all 200 plus of my guests. Yeah. is how challenging it's been to find good talent, especially in the recent last six months to a year. It's gotten even more crazy, and everyone's got their own theories on it. So I'm, I'm just curious for you, what thoughts have you had recently around recruiting? Right. So, you know, the importance of writing down, you know, and literally pen to paper, writing down uh, the profile and the uh, attributes and responsibilities and getting alignment with the team around what that was, mm. what, you know, what you're looking for, uh, and 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 then being really clear, and then holding yourselves accountable to that level, is something that, uh, at least in the go-to-market side, I know my co-founder did a really good job, and and uh, on the engineering side, so we we uh, we didn't struggle as much on engineering recruiting. We struggled more in the go-to-market recruiting. So that's on me. And on us, but it was it was me. I ran go to market. He ran engineering, and so um, so I say all that because because um, you know if you don't write it down, and you don't have a clear picture. Right? I need someone that can get us from one to five million. I need someone mm. that can get us from, and and then you start talking to people, and, and whether you're you know a lot of times founders will struggle with salespeople. They'll think you can hire a sales leader, and they they may have worked at Salesforce, so they may have worked at other company. They've got the pedigree. They get sales right. Well, they may get sales, but like you can't hire 
you know, a senior salesperson who's used to running a 200 person sales team globally and have them come in and help you go from, from one to 5 million and think they're going to be okay running for salespeople. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to hire a sales manager to do that. Uh, or you need to have a very direct conversation. Th th those are some of the mistakes I made. I'd hire salespeople that are the most accomplished sales professionals on the planet, but they just, they don't get where we are in our growth and they don't understand what it's going to take to be successful. And, um, and, and whether it's sales or whether it's marketing or whether it's, you know, customer support, customer success, I think um, just be, be honest with yourself about the type of person, the type of experience. And when you find people don't have happy ears, right? Don't, you, you can't just like, oh, they're going to, they'll get it. Like, unless they've actually done it, they're not going to get it. And you're going to be disappointed. You're going to lose cycles. And, uh, you know, I hired a CRO um, and, and, you know, it didn't work out. And, and uh, it's you know, painful. it's painful. And, and I, you know, I, I'd say we lost a year because of mm. it and uh, a year of growth. Right. And uh, painful. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he came on and he brought on like a big whole honking great team and, and, and they weren't the right fit either. And, uh, and I had to unwind all that. And uh, where what I really needed was like a, you know, a, a sales director that I could just run point with the three, four, five salespeople and, and help us just kind of continue to grow. Hmm. And, um, you know, anyway, I, I don't want to be, you know, kind no, of that's great. Individuals, but uh, um, that's I, uh, super helpful. We don't often take the time to even ask and get very specific on what exactly do I think I'm looking for here? Yeah. Who, who do I think would be best to accomplish that? And what do I think the context is that they might need to understand about where we're at as a company and what it's going to look like? And those extra layers of expectations and clarity are huge. Like it's so hard, right? You need someone that understands your domain. You need yeah. someone that understands where you are in the size of the company. And, and, and you're probably not going to find both. Right. And so maybe they can learn your domain, right? So can someone learn sales enablement? Maybe. Right. And, and, and I think they can, I think we can teach them. Right. And, and, uh, but that they need to have the motion of, of what we do, right? Or they need to be an expert in sales enablement and then we can, and then they can learn the motion, like the, the process of, of growth and what we need to do. But, but if you don't have both and you're just mm -hmm. hiring someone because of their pedigree, hoping that they're gonna do well, you're gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a tough road ahead. So uh, absolutely. I hope, I hope this is helpful. Oh, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, that is super helpful. Okay, to make the most of your time, we're gonna do our lightning round questions now. Boom. Five questions for you that we've asked every founder, starting with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Yeah, no, I've thought a lot about this and, and it's a core value at our company. You got to win as a team and uh, winning as a team, like teamwork, collaboration. And I'm going to say just this, you know, it's it's like in parenthesis underneath that is you, you got to have like a, an excuse me for swearing a no asshole policy. Right. Yes. Uh, but, but winning as a team, right? And I think if you, if for us as a company, because of what we do and who we are, uh, and, and you win as a team, boom. I, my, my, I, I love that. And, and I remind the That's team. That's awesome. Win as a team. Well, it's such a fine line too, right? Like you want, you want high achievers, you want competitive people, but you want them to collaborate and not be an Absolutely. asshole and selfish, yeah. you know? Sorry for bringing that, but, but you know, like I actually, you yeah. know, at our, at our all hands call, like we do a weekly all hands with the, with the organization and, and uh, you know, um, I reminded everyone like, like what's, what's yes, the growth is great this year and momentum is great and demand is there and it's this awesome buzz. But I said, what's, what's the best thing is we have the best collaboration across all departments, all teams that we've ever had in our company history. And that's what makes us fun. Yes, man. What I've noticed is the, the quickest way to make it stink to work somewhere, pun intended, is to hire a few assholes, oh my God. especially if, especially if they're good at their job. Yeah. They usually stick around longer. It's yeah. like, well, they've landed us, at, you know, five hundred thousand dollars in sales. It's like, yeah, but they've created all this drama in the culture. And they'll pull everyone down. You got to get rid of them. You got absolutely. It's painful, but yeah, you're yes. Right. All right. Question number two. Yeah. What is the single best advice you've gotten about growing your business, and also what was the worst? Yeah, and and so it's almost two sides of the same coin, right? The best advice was to just, you know, solve one revenue problem and solve it real well right and and just like that was you know uh, 
couple people around me at the very beginning and even Arthur Doe, right? That was like, just solve it. Solve it. One, if you just solve one rev revenue problem, if you're just one system of record, just one thing, like nothing wrong with, 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 with that. And, and similarly, the worst advice I got was, you know, when I was going up and down, you know, Silicon Valley row, meeting the VCs, they all looked at me and they said, your, your sales hood is interesting. Show me a business plan where sales hood can be applied to every employee. And because that's a bigger TAM. That was not the right advice because it yeah. turns out that the TAM, the total addressable market for, for sales productivity and enabling sales teams is huge, untapped and growing like crazy. So I'm, I'm happy because had we taken VC money five years ago, six years ago, we probably, the company wouldn't be what it is today. We would have, I wouldn't be doing this anymore. Like I'd be doing something different and yeah. we would have lost the passion. So uh, it would have been forced to change in some ways. Yeah, I would have been, you know, we, we, it's our own destiny right now and, and we're charting it and it's amazing. So yeah, good for you. Similar, similar focus versus, versus diluted ideas. Those are, love good. it. Yeah. Question number three, what currently causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Hmm. So it's interesting, you know, I think, uh, my biggest worry and is, is who are my competitors that I don't know about? Hmm that that will just show up and disrupt because i'm looking at myself that we're the disruptor we're disrupting traditional processes business processes digital with, with digital and uh and and so uh yeah i it's it's what i don't know is what scares me it's what i don't know totally makes sense yeah especially as the disruptor you're like wait a minute if we're doing this what if somebody does this to us <laughs> yeah. and and it's it's we're way too early to be disrupted <laughs> right right we're, we're the ones disrupting now you mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to yeah. give you a chance to say it again. What is your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company? Yeah, I, uh, you know, listen, sales hood, the word is, is, you know, the way the word came and how we came with the word was, it was, it was, I wanted a word that represented kind of the best salesperson, right? And, and, uh, and so sales hood means the fully developed salesperson, the fully developed sales culture. And, and, and a high performing team, right? Sales team. And, and so for, for us, you know, our lifelong goal, our core value is how do we get every salesperson, every sales team to, to, to use saleshood to be a better seller? And similarly, how do I get every CEO on the planet when they think they have a revenue problem? The first thing that comes to mind is I need a saleshood, right? Go get me a saleshood. Like yeah. I, I, I need that to be reality. Heck yeah. Awesome. Okay. Last question is our fun kind of creative question. Yeah. It's going to be a maybe a little nuanced from, from what uh, we sent you ahead of time. Same question, but I'll okay. say it this way. Call it to the back to the future game. You okay. get to hop into a DeLorean. You get to go back to your past, but we're not there necessarily to change any of the events or anything like that. You get to pass a message along. When would you go back in your past Ooh. and what message would you pass along to that younger version of yourself? You know, I can't change anything. <laughs> you can if you want. It's not the point of no, the no, exercise. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I listen. I the I, reason I, I have to caveat that is because every time I would ask in the first hundred interviews, they'd always go, "Well, I don't want to change anything." You know, I believe in life. That, you know, it's worked out the way. I'm like, I, I get it. What? I get it. There, there are conversations and relationships that I had in the early days, mentors that I had that helped me and that wanted to help me. And you know, the advice I'd give a younger version of myself. Um, even even going down like that first day that my dad brought me into his furniture store and had me stand in front of the store and just do a very simple, all you got to do is say, hello, welcome, welcome. How can I help you? Right. Very simple thing that he taught me how to just yeah. give me that confidence. Right. Uh, and then and then, you know, in those early years, my dad would, would coach me and guide me on how to, you know, how to how to, how to demo furniture, how to get an order. Right. I, I, and, and then, and then I had all these mentors over the years. I, I was, I was always appreciative. My advice to myself, which I, whether it was my father as a mentor, he, who's still alive, whether it was some of my early bosses was spend more time with them, mm. listen to them more. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, don't be afraid to ask them for more help every step of the way. Uh, because I know even till this day, I'll text a lot of them and they'll like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. And yeah. they're always there for me. And, uh, and I wonder if I would have asked for more help earlier from more people, 
what would have changed and how much, how much more accomplished we would be and how much more I'd know faster. It's beautiful. Well, Eli, thank you so much for making time. I know that you are a busy man and this has been so valuable for me and I'm positive it's been valuable for our audience. So thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom and your heart on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, Andrew, you did a great job. I love your questions. Thank you. We, uh, it, it, it felt uh, refreshing to just kind of talk openly and, and you really guided the conversation beautifully. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.